This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Kelly. Our guest this week is Illinois U.S. Congressman Rodney Davis. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on over 300 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to serve America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Illinois 13th District Representative Rodney Davis next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Tariffs and the future of the renewable fuel standard top concerns by farmers across the nation. The EPA small refinery exemptions have cost the renewable fuels industry 4 billion gallons of demand and farmers a lost market for over a billion bushels of corn. Tariff wars have reduced global demand for U.S. commodities. Serving in his fourth district in the 116th Congress, Rodney Davis says he's pleased to see the president taking action on both fronts. Prior to the White House announcing new proposals on administering the RFS, Davis introduced legislation that would address the EPA's granting of small refinery exemptions and says his bill would work in conjunction with the president's plan. This isn't something that happened overnight, and it's something we're going to continue to work with the administration on to put some of those gallons back into production. You know, I believe that the administration is more than willing to work with us to ensure that many of those gallons get back into production and thus the corn that will be coming out of the fields uh, in a few, you know, now or even just a few weeks from now is going to be able to be used to meet that increased demand for that blending requirement uh, as the administration, I hope, makes better decisions so that we don't run into this concern again in the future. So the administration's plan does call for reallocation, and at the same time it also says it will continue to grant waivers for small refineries. What would you, what would your legislation specifically call for, uh, with regard to transparency of those grants? You know, my bill would actually help reallocate uh, many of the lost gallons that we just talked about. And it's going to incentivize the EPA to issue fewer exemptions. And it does not set a minimum number of waivers that the EPA should grant, but it's going to put particular standards in place of what they can call a small refiner and what they can't call a small refiner. We talked to Kevin Ross, the new president of the National Corn Growers Association, last week, and one of the discussions was that, yes, we're working on this RFS and the 15 billion gallons that now, as Secretary Purdue has said, would be a guarantee. It would be a lock of a minimum of 15 billion gallons. But what's the bigger issue with regard to oxygenate and an overall uh, the need for the future with regard to fuel and and clean fuel. Well, I'm a big believer in in more homegrown fuels. I think it's not just a an environmental uh, benefit. I also think it's a benefit because our farmers and our producers in Middle America are the ones that are going to reap the benefit of more homegrown fuels. And I certainly hope auto manufacturers realize the benefits of increased octane usage and increased octane levels that can come about because of ethanol blending. 
you know, but it's also going to be a marketplace issue. Uh, you know as well as I do that the fuel usage in any given area in our nation is driven by one thing. It's price. And when unleaded 88, what used to be called E15, that's now eligible to be sold year-round because the Trump administration working with us is the first administration to actually allow those year-round sales to happen. When unleaded 88 becomes the standard in every car because it's the cheapest uh, gas per gallon that's offered at our pumps, you know what's going to happen? It's the same thing that happened when E10 was the mixture. It becomes the norm rather than the exception. And that means we have a long-term, sustainable, less volatile usage of fuel blends up to that 15% level. And then you can move ahead. You know, and the key is we have to have manufacturers be able to manufacture engines that are going to continue to be able to burn those types of fuels. On the top of being able to sell E15 year-round, the president's announcement does include some relief with regard to labeling of E15 and perhaps even some dollars for infrastructure, and many suggest those are desperately needed. You know, they, they are. I'm glad the president's proposal is, is addressing those. Uh, but you don't have to go too far in my district to see where we have companies like Casey's and like Quick and Easy to be able to update their facilities, put in those blender pumps, and offer unleaded 88. You know, my... My biggest concern in my district was that, you know, at one of my local Casey's not price it right. And it was therefore people were coming in buying other fuels that, that they saw on the side may have been cheaper. So we fixed that. I want to see a continued usage of E15 because I want the president and his administration to realize this is what is good for America. So it's good for our farmers. It's good for our blenders. And it's good for our retailers because they're investing in this equipment. But let's make sure we invest more as we move forward because this becomes the fuel of choice. Is there a timetable that you would want to see this regulation accomplished? Well, the regulation of getting some of these gallons back into production, you know, I know the president talked about $15 billion. I'd like to see it as soon as possible. I want to see the impact on this year's crop. I want to see more corn and more soybeans for biodiesel be put into fuels that was taken away because of these small refinery exemptions. To me, yesterday's not soon enough. Congressman, at the time of our conversation, we don't know the outcome of the 13th round of talks between the U.S. and China, but all suggestions were that as we were heading into those negotiations, that this would not be the end of the road, but yet another stop. Uh, Senator McConnell had suggested that he'd really like to see a resolution and see a resolution quickly. How do you see this tariff war that has played out for so long between the two sides? I, I don't know what incentive China has to sit down and put together a bilateral deal with the United States right now. And, and for one reason, actually for two reasons. Number one, impeachment inquiry. Uh, nothing gets done in Washington and when I talk to folks who went through the last impeachment process, they say nothing gets done in Washington during impeachment. However, also, Speaker Pelosi is holding up the USMCA. I mean, that's a renegotiated trade deal with our two greatest trading partners, uh, Canada and Mexico. It's sitting there waiting to get called for a vote in the House. It will pass overwhelmingly in a bipartisan fashion once it hits the House floor, but we can't get a vote on it. What incentive does China have to put a bilateral deal together when they look at the fact we can't even get a vote on a deal with Canada and Mexico to renew a deal that we already have. And they then have leverage with the United States during these negotiations because they know 
if we're not going to get to vote on a Canada-Mexico agreement, we're sure as heck not going to get to vote on a, a Chinese-U.S. agreement that's a bilateral deal. So they are holding American negotiators hostage while Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats who run the House are holding our farmers and our manufacturers hostage by not putting the USMCA up for a vote. If Nancy Pelosi thinks that we can get things done during an impeachment inquiry, she can easily put this bill on the floor and get it passed and prove to the American people that that's true. Speaking of China, when we first learned of the trade war, it seemed to be more about intellectual property theft and about agriculture and and the imbalance of trade. But, Congressman, as we move closer, it seems as though there are deeper layers that are involved in human rights and national security and ultimately views of governments and who would have the major play for the world. You know, anytime you have negotiations, those intricate details are going to be talked about around the table. I'm sure they were addressed in previous rounds, but I'm sure they didn't get the media attention at the time. And that's what's going to happen as we see more agreement come into place. Uh, you're going to see other issues where there's still some room where we need to negotiate. I, I don't look at that as something that's new and trying to take uh, take an agreement and delay it even more. I look at it as a positive sign that maybe we're a little closer on some of the areas like agricultural trade and intellectual property than what we initially thought. Congressman, how are your constituents, how is your district being affected now by not having a ratified, signed USMCA? It's being impacted right now just because our farmers are concerned about what is the future going to look like. We can't continue to have MFP payments come uh, in perpetuity because of a trade war with China. And they're concerned about the USMCA not getting put on the floor of the House and getting put in the back seat because of some impeachment inquiry that's being pushed by the far left of the Democratic Party in Washington, D.C. So they're concerned because there's so much uncertainty. And we've got the chance to provide our farmers and our manufacturers certainty. We're sitting at a time where a deal like the USMCA is crucial because we are at a a point in our nation's history where we have sustained 3.5% unemployment. We need more opportunities and more certainty to be competitive with our counterparts, and that's exactly what the USMCA does. All Speaker Pelosi has to do, put it on the calendar for a vote. You want to talk about it? You want to debate it? Let's debate it. But let's not just hold it up and hold our farmers and manufacturers hostage like you're doing now. Was it reasonable to allow an amount of time to address their concerns, and have they been addressed from your perspective? Well, I don't know how much more reasonable the administration can be with many of these unfounded concerns. You know, they want to talk about labor standards in Mexico. This agreement is better than the the NAFTA that we have in place when it comes to wage parity between the countries of the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Mexico's already ratified it. Canada's in the process of doing so. We are the ones that have the ability to either put a good trade deal on the floor or not. And I think a lot of folks in the Democratic Party that I serve with in, in the House are very concerned because they've been bashing the president's views on tariffs when they've been for tariffs in the past. And they've never voted for free trade agreements. And I think they're scared to death to, to have to vote for this one and set a precedent that they don't want to set or vote no and make their constituencies mad. That's why I think Speaker Pelosi is protecting many of her members from casting this vote. But put it on the floor. Let's let's show the American people during your, your march to impeachment without evidence 
let's show the American people we can still do something that's good for our country, good for our economy, good for our farmers and our manufacturers. Let us vote on the USMCA. Quit holding it up. Thankfully, the trade deal that has been signed with Japan doesn't have to be ratified by the U.S. Congress. Japan was the crown jewel of the TPP. How big of a win is this for agriculture and for your district? It's a huge win. We've got to continue to have wins like this with countries that would have been part of the TPP. A lot of times folks want to try and recreate history when they look at the Trump administration and say that the Trump administration was the only one that would have pulled out of the TPP. Remember, by the time the 2016 election happened, both candidates said they would have pulled out of the TPP. But that doesn't stop us from doing what the administration is doing right now with the bilateral deal with Japan. And it doesn't stop us from putting more bilateral deals together with countries like South Korea and countries in the South Pacific that would have benefited from the TPP. The only way to stop Chinese aggression when it comes to trade and and stealing of intellectual property is to stop them by becoming better trading partners with those that China is trying to become better trading partners with at the same time. You mentioned the impeachment proceedings and stalling things on the Hill. One of the things that can't be stalled for very long is budget. How do these proceedings and the need to approve the fiscal policy of the country collide? Well, it collides with everything. Uh, you know, I, I've never served in Congress during an impeachment, so I had the chance as part of my service on the Select Committee to Modernize Congress to ask uh, my good friend and former member of Congress, former Secretary of Transportation in the Obama administration, Ray LaHood, I asked him his thoughts. You know, we had sat at a hearing and listen to suggestions on how to make Congress work together, how to be more bipartisan. And I got there late, so I was the last person to ask questions. And I said to Ray, you know, you, out of anyone else in the country, had a bird's-eye view of of what happened the last Congress, or the last time we impeached a president in Congress, because Ray LaHood is the one who chaired those last impeachment proceedings. And I said, what can we do from your perspective to make sure that we're able to still get things done that we talked about needing to get done here in this committee hearing during an impeachment process. And I I was surprised, but I shouldn't have been. But Ray said, avoid impeachment like the plague, because you're not going to be able to accomplish any of these good things that we just talked about. And I appreciate that perspective from Ray LaHood. He was there. He understands what this means. And I don't think a lot of folks that are pushing Speaker Pelosi to move toward impeachment really understand the impact it's going to have on our country. The administration has been asking of academia and of agriculture, what are the regulations or what are the things that are standing in the way from fully implementing this new age of biotechnology and not just in agriculture but in industry? And that was the focus of a meeting early last week with regard to what does it take for biotechnology to advance. Uh, How important is this issue And how do we embrace uh, regulating new products that work within the microbiome of of those elements that work uh, in the soil, that work in ways that we've not seen before in agronomics? Well, number one, we have to use science. I'm lectured nonstop by folks who are are climate activists that we got to look at the science. we got to look at the science. Well, when it comes to biotechnology and when it comes to to GMO technology, we've got to look at the science. Let's look at the science as to what has given us the opportunity, even in the harshest conditions of drought and harshest conditions of, of too much rain, have allowed us to still get sustainable yields from our crops. These are the types of advances that can't be sidetracked by what I call the hysteria movement, the hysteria movement that doesn't use science to back up their claims. 
And, and I saw this as we move forward with uh, reauthorizing the Pesticide Registration Act. Uh, that's something that has traditionally had bipartisan support. I wrote it in the House when we were in the majority. We actually had a, a great uh, bipartisan deal that had the environmental community on board, also industry on board. It passed the House unanimously. Seriously, Jeff, do any of your listeners think anything passes the House unanimously when it comes to pesticide re- registration? But it did. And then it got held up in the Senate. It got held up by one senator who wanted to put certain provisions in place that I believe could be detrimental to our producers. And they held it hostage until we finally got an agreement. And unfortunately, that senator got what he wanted. In the end, I still think it could have an adverse effect on our producers. But in the end, the folks who wanted us to stop the advancement of PREA are the ones who want our producers to use less pesticides in the long run. So these are the types of debates that we're going to continue to have. But the only way to get better biotechnological advances into our fields and into production is to have people swat away the hysteria movement and use science that biotechnology has given us already. And let's use the advances to our advantage to be able to feed not just our country, but feed the world. We have seen litigation step in the way of regulation. The U.S. has a regulatory system that approves uh, chemistries and crop protection products, the USDA, FDA, uh, EPA, and a host of agencies. But yet we have seen these chemistries come into question that were approved years before in a courtroom that questions whether uh, some of the companies that provide products farmers need are going to be able to succeed. Yeah, that's that's too bad, too. I mean, we, we see litigation hold up advances. And really, you know, then you have companies that are going to make a cost-benefit analysis on, on how long the legal fight is going to be protracted or, or how long it plays out. Uh, that's wrong because what it does is it takes good technology off the table. And I think we have to take a step back as a country and figure out what we're going to do with with just the litigiousness that we see in our society right now. I mean, I even I even serve with folks on both sides of the aisle that don't want to legislate anymore because they'll just, they say the courts will just handle it. Uh, that's not what the legislative branch was created for. It's not what the executive branch was created for. It's it's what the judicial branch was created for. But let's take let's take some of those things off the docket by putting it, you know, putting good policies through on the legislative side, and then do it in a bipartisan way where you have less of a chance to have a, a protracted lawsuit. The race for the White House is on. From the agriculture perspective, what are the issues? Renewable fuels, technology. What are the things that should be? that will be a part of this debate? Well, clearly you, you, you had a couple there. Renewable fuels, following the existing law with the renewable fuel standards, has to be something that is brought to the forefront when it comes to agriculture. Uh, biotechnology, and how do we get technology into place that's going to allow our farmers to get into the next generation of, of, uh, of safely growing more food on less land as we continue to grow uh, population in this world? Uh, but we can't forget about where do candidates stand on trade. Uh, there has to be a debate on how the global marketplace impacts not just our producers, but our agribusinesses and, and agribusiness giants, but also our manufacturers. And that's something that I think gets tossed to the wayside in this highly partisan, highly charged political debate uh, when it comes to running for president on the Democratic side. What I see on the Democratic side right now is a rush to, to be as far left as possible. 
And and that's something that I think the voters of the Midwest have to take into consideration when they look ahead to the 2020 election. Climate change? Uh, climate change is, is real. Climate change is something that our farmers and, and our producers are, are working hard to try to address. Uh, but at the same time, let's not scare people into thinking that the world somehow is going to end because the United States uh, doesn't shut down every coal plant that it has. It provides great paying jobs and provides access to, to cheap, affordable electricity uh, in our communities. You know, let's not traumatize the next generation into thinking that something drastic is going to happen right when they get into their, their adulthood and their ability to participate, not just in the political debate, but also in the workforce. You know, I remember I'm sitting here in Decatur, Illinois today. I'm a, a, a graduate of Milliken University uh, right here in this community. And part of my, my education was having to listen to speakers come in and talk about things. I remember Paul Ehrlich was one of the first people I sat down and listened to, and he told me by this time in, our, in history, he predicted that we would see mass starvation. He predicted that we would see countries that wouldn't be able to feed their own citizens. But what he didn't predict were the advances in biotechnology. What he didn't predict were the advances in being able to feed the world from countries like the United States, and he was wrong. So let's remember those hysteric predictions that were made in the past that didn't come true when hysteria drives a day in the presidential debate. Congressman Davis, we want to thank you for taking time, even while you're back in the district, to spend with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you get the last word. Well, I just want to say thanks, Jeff. You're always great to talk to, and thanks to uh, the folks in my district who have given me the opportunity to serve in this great institution. And let's push for the USMCA. Get it done. Call your congressman, congresswoman. If they're on the Democrat side of the aisle, tell them to get Nancy Pelosi to put it on the floor. Our thanks to Illinois 13th District Representative Rodney Davis, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling. 